Welcome back to another Functional Analysis Podcast. This is Dr. Fred Clary with another fact lesson. And this is a, uh, a good pa- podcast for informed people and doctors themselves. And I have been asked by at least a dozen people over the last week or two to do a podcast on serotonin. And I thought, well, it's going to take a couple. So this will be part one of the serotonin wars. And hopefully we can do it in two parts, but we may have to do it in three parts is what I'm thinking to, to give it justice. And what is serotonin? We've heard a lot about it in the news with different medications that fight depression, but serotonin's bigger than that. And it's bigger than what's going to happen tomorrow on Thanksgiving where everyone is going to eat a lot of food, be around a lot of happy people, fire up their serotonin, a lot of carbohydrates, a lot of turkey that has tryptophan in it. Tryptophan's converted to serotonin. And there you go. You will uh, be very, very satiated and happy and falling asleep. But serotonin is just not responsible for sleep. It's responsible for many things. This monoamine um, goes back a far, long way. And before we start, I better give the disclaimer that this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice. So if you do have a problem, if we talk about any conditions, if we talk about any physiological errors you may have, please go see your medical doctor, osteopath, chiropractor, naturopath, nurse practitioner, or your certified midwife. At least go see someone who can get this stuff checked out and get you checked out. Thank you. So how old is serotonin? Well, you may be surprised that serotonin is older than the nervous system, evolutionary-wise. It came before there was an organized nervous system or a neuron or a glial cell. That's right. Serotonin is older than the nervous system. And that's something we really have to hold on to when we're we're looking at all these uses for serotonin and the serotonin wars. So serotonin is found in plants. It's found in um, protozoa, one-celled animals, and uh, it is used as a growth factor, kind of like, almost like growth hormone is in the human body. Serotonin in certain species of animals and single-cell organisms is used as a growth factor. It is used to promote um, adaptation and promote uh, growth. And things like uh, a hydra, I don't know if you remember your biology from college or high school, but a hydra is a very small creature, but it it has about, oh, I don't know, 50,000 cells. And it kind of acts like one cell, but it doesn't have a nervous system, but all the cells kind of coordinate. Well, if you pour serotonin over a hydra, it will double, triple, quadruple its growth and its development for the next 50 generations. That's how powerful serotonin is in, on some of these organisms. We find it in shellfish. We find it in fish. We find it, of course, in all mammals. So I just want you to wrap your head around the fact that serotonin predates the nervous system. So serotonin is phylogenetically ancient. That just means it goes way back and evolved prior to the appearance of multi-cell creatures, nervous system, 
And whatever function serotonin has in our brain and nervous system, it's going to be consistent with evolutionary history, with the laws of biology. It's going to follow that. And there's been very little attention or even care given to the biological emergence of serotonin. No one's studying it. We're all playing with it. But if you asked a doctor who prescribes, say, medications that affect the serotonin level, hey, what's serotonin do? And they'll give you a pat answer that maybe the drug rep gave them or they read in a textbook. But they probably don't understand the biological emergence of serotonin and its importance in so many different creatures. Why is that important? Well, if you ask that same doctor or provider about water or air, they would give you a much larger, larger explanation. And I'm here to say that serotonin deserves as much attention as so many other things that we talk about, protein, carbohydrates, fats, air, water. I think we need to really look at something that predated our nervous system and its importance and how we manipulate it or should we be manipulating it. So as I was saying, you find serotonin in fish, in worms, in protozoa, in so many animals and mollusks and sea and seafood. I was going to say seafood. It is seafood to me. I'm from Baltimore. You know, I'd love to have some mollusks during uh, Thanksgiving here. But you find it everywhere. In the lobster, you find it. And serotonin is used for different functions. So the chemical itself has multiple functions in different animals. Multiple functions. What do you mean, Fred? Doesn't it just, you know, help us go to sleep in humans? Well... Besides serotonin being linked to depression, we also know that it's important as a mood regulator, social behavior, how you interact, how you remember things, our appetite, digestion, sleep. This is in the memory thing's a big deal because that memory we're talking about, just not cognitive memory, it's not going to school. It's not remembering how to get to a friend's house. It's bigger than that. It's unconscious memory too. Sexual desire, sexual function is also linked to it. Um, and platelet health, how we bleed and clot. There are so many things. And so hopefully in this episode, this part one of the serotonin wars, we'll cover what serotonin really does. And maybe sometimes we shouldn't manipulate it. For example, if, it, if serotonin's been around for hundreds of millions of years, it has a purpose a defined purpose in the human body. And if we manipulate it, say someone's loved one dies, heaven forbid, knock on wood. Say someone's job is in jeopardy and they get a little depressed. For whatever reason, they get a little depressed. The ongoing theory was that the patient had low serotonin levels for whatever reason, and those low serotonin levels can be manipulated and we just raise serotonin. So input, processing output. We just put a little more serotonin in. We either give them a shot of serotonin or a pill of serotonin or give them something that prevents serotonin enzymatically breaking down the neuronal gap, which means between where two neurons talk, the neurotransmitter, the monoamine, serotonin is released. That links onto a receptor, a doorway, if you will, 
And that doorway, behind the doorway, there's all kinds of activity and it tells that cell to do something. Sometimes it pulls that chemical in, sometimes the chemical just rests on the cell membrane and it'll get enough orders with the monoamine, the, the neurotransmitter screaming through the doorway of what to do. Kind of like my mom would just open the door and scream, it's dinner time and we came running. That's the way a lot of uh, these neurotransmitters work. But anyway, there's a lot of that serotonin in the gap. So we do something like a serotonin reuptake inhibitor where, you know, that serotonin is released quickly and is not broken down, is not enzymatically beat up. That's what MOAs do. They keep uh, these uh, monoamines from being broken down. It's a different type of antidepressant. But if we can keep the serotonin level high in the brain, the theory was that would make you healthier, make you happier. And sometimes that works. A lot of times causes casualties because we get the diagnosis wrong. If the person's bipolar, you make them more manic. If the person has schizotypical disease or some other type of disease, that can throw them off. If the person really doesn't have depression, say they have chronic pain and it's missed by the chiropractor and it's missed by the GP and it's missed by the orthopedic or pain specialist and they think they have more depression than chronic pain affecting them, then you give them something like that and now you just have someone who's got a lot of pain and they're just a little happy about it, but you haven't fixed the underlying cause. They're happy to be screwed up. So a lot of times we have, to, we have to get to the underlying diagnosis and that's why it's important to understand the roles of serotonin and what, what does it do in the body? If, if you really get injured or you lose your job, you're supposed to have a mourning period. Society has put in for thousands of years, probably since we've been in caves, so at least you know 100,000 years, we've been walking around and when we lose something close to us, our favorite pet rock, Og disappears, he falls off a cliff, you know, we get we get run over by a woolly mammoth, or, you know, people only lived into their 20s, so, you know, grandpa died at a ripe old age at 29, um, we w should be sad, we should be sad, and we should have some time of reflection. If we bump up the serotonin level, that changes that whole um, psycho-neuro-social understanding of what just happened. We start manipulating these neurological connections that maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, you feel a little better and you can get through the day, but the brain is not worried about what's going on, you know, with you five years from now, five years before. It's trying to survive. And if you make the pattern that you don't react, you don't adapt. In other words, somebody died, something bad happened. You need time to slow down and think. You think, you process, you come up with new plans, your executive function, that's in front of our brain telling us what to do, says, you know what, I need a new job. Or we shouldn't go down that valley because there's a lot of saber-toothed tigers. We keep getting torn up. Let's learn, let's not be a dumb mouse in a, in a maze. Let's learn not to go over there. So what we learned and what human development of the human brain happened over just thousands of years, just not millions, thousands, recent stuff, is quick adaptations due to the lack of or the presence of certain monoamines like serotonin, certain neurotransmitters like dopamine. That concert, that symphony, that coordination of different musical instruments or different neurotransmitters in reaction to the internal and external environment. External environment about what's going on taught us or made us choose those behaviors that propagated the species and kept us going. And now sometimes I would think we're blunting some of this stuff. We're manipulating some of that stuff 
because we want to feel better in the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, not understanding what am I supposed to learn from this? Sometimes we're supposed to feel pain, whether physical or mental or emotional. I just had six calcium screws uh, shoved into my rotator cuff a few weeks ago, and I didn't do all the opioids that they prescribed for me. Um, I think your brain needs to connect to the painful part so it knows it's there. We have to know that something's there. In the old days, we iced all the time, we iced 24-7, but I think sometimes we slowed down the blood flow to the area so we couldn't even get the um, resources from the immune system to help the repair go along. Some of the pain went away, but your body didn't know that that's where it had to be fixed. So there's a, a nice delicate balance between you know, the external environment, the internal environment, and letting that central nervous system know what it has to do. The computer has to know how to react and what to react to. And I think that's how we got into the opioid crisis. We were trying to shut down so much pain, and now there's people walking around in chronic pain, diseases that didn't heal because their immune system doesn't know there's a problem there. Remember, that area not only sends out a message, a message in cytokines, chemokines, um, chemical mediators that tell the immune system, hey, come here and start the repair. There's something wrong. But also your nervous system, knowing that there's an issue there, changes the blood flow. Also will it send a signal to the spleen and bone marrow and say, hey, get moving, you know, T, T not cells, T um, multipotent cells, which become T1 cells or T2 cells in the immune system. We'll cover that in another podcast. But your white blood cells, your immune cells have to get to that area. So they have to have a signal. So I think a lot of times when we manipulate these chemicals that, you know, the person feels good and they say that's healthy. Well, I've seen too many healthy, quote unquote, people drop of heart attacks and strokes or have cancer. And, you know, I, there, there's a, a very famous uh, um, health and wellness guru that was on TV who had a massive heart attack. We all know about Jim Fix. He wrote the complete book of running. He died of a heart attack. Was he healthy the day before he had a heart attack even though he could run? No, he was not. So sometimes we have to look at these chemicals we're manipulating and if we want to manipulate them. And what does that mean? One thing we have to understand is like where is serotonin produced in the human body? It's produced in the brain, but like 90% of our supplies is producing the enterochromaffin cells in our gut. 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. It's also on your platelets and in your brain where it's produced is the raphe nucleus of the brainstem. The brainstem is ancient brain, you know? So we have our cortex, that's newer brain, kind of the midbrain would be like, we'd be a reptile, they call it the reptilian brain, more like a frog. But your brain stem, I mean, that's basic heart and lung functions. And guess what's shoved in there? Serotonin producing tissue. It's in your brain stem, which means it's really old. It's been around a long time genetically, phylogenetically, sorry, phylogenetically and evolutionary wise. Why? Then it has multiple functions. So one thing to think about, okay, what does serotonin do? Well, it goes to this receptor. Well, if we manipulate serotonin and keep it around, what does that only have one function? No, there's 15 receptors, one five, 15 serotonin receptors in the human body. I'll try to say it without screaming and spitting. There's 15 serotonin receptors and each receptor, each doorway goes to a different door and does a different thing. So you could, you could go to 
one serotonin receptor with serotonin, it would lock in and the cell would do one thing. You go to another cell with a different type of serotonin receptor and it would do something totally different. That's why sometimes you can't manipulate it. I know with Parkinson's disease, um, dopamine, uh, exogenous dopamine, the drug um, Cinemep and Levodopa is just a godsend for at least the first six months. In Parkinson's disease, we have low dopamine in the substantia nigra, the basal ganglia in your brain, you know, this part of your, your motor control system is missing this very important um, neurotransmitter called dopamine. And so we thought we would just raise it up. Well, what happens after six months a year, they start getting side effects. Why? Because there's more than one dopamine receptor. There's D1 and D2. D1 turns on movement. Yay, they can move, they can walk, and they can smile. D2 shuts it down, so they start getting tremors. So <laughs> it's it's an interesting balance of understanding when you're messing with nature, you know, our human intellect is not as smart as, say, uh, our human is, you know, hundreds of millions of years of evolution. Remember, serotonin has been around before the nervous system, before vertebrates. So that's something to think about. So with all these 15 types of receptors, I mean, for example, the 5-HTs, 5-HT, is serotonin. The 5-HT1A receptor has a role in anxiety and depression. The 1D receptor has a role in migraine headaches. Um, the 5-HT2 receptor, cardiovascular and um, CNS behaviors, communication. Um, 5-HT3 will shut, will shut down vomiting, you know, if you manipulate that. So how can I say this? We have, we have so many needs of serotonin raising serotonin up indiscriminately in the whole body may not be what we want to do or lowering it for whatever reason. Um, so understanding that balance. I mean, here's an example of raising up too high. Um, serotonin's involved in our pain perception. If it gets up pretty high, we actually don't feel much pain. Um, it'll make us tired, but it'll, it'll, in certain receptors, it'll shut down um, pain. But if it gets too high, we become schizophrenic and start seeing Kermit the Frog dancing on our car hoods. So, you know, and if you don't, you don't get enough serotonin, um, then you actually will shut down, say, the hypothalamus. So, and as you remember, the hypothalamus is some of the other hormones like testosterone um, regulation and uh, cycles. Um, progesterone, estrogen are all involved in that. So, you... You know, when you're working with the posterior and anterior um, pituitary, serotonin gets involved in all this. Um, there, it's like this beautiful mosaic. And if you take one of the piece out, you know, it's gone. Um, and what gone means is you have symptoms, you have a disease, you have a disorder, you have an itis. So what does serotonin do? What ex exactly are, do we know that it does in the um, human body? Well, in the heart, it helps regulate sinus node rhythm. It helps regulate the AV node. And your AV node starts your heartbeat. It's involved in heart development. And too much can actually cause uh, heart valve pathologies. And we see that serotonin is involved in ventricular remodeling. The ventricles are the big part, the big meaty part, the bottom of your heart, the biggest pump part keeps you alive. 
and congestive heart failure. So serotonin is involved in all that. Um, it helps regulate respiratory drive when we breathe. As a functional analysis uh, proponent, breathing is very important. It may be involved in SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Um, it's involved in the pathogenesis of pulmonary hypertension, which will kill you. Um, in the gut, it regulates gastric emptying. It regulates um, peristalsis, how our guts move. It, it regulates uh, colonic tone, your tone of your colon, whether you're going to the bathroom or not. You know, everyone's screaming about fiber, fiber, fiber is your serotonin balance for what you need. Um, it's involved in irritable bowel syndrome. Um, it's involved in how your liver regenerates. Our liver regenerates um, with the help of platelets. And if serotonin's off, remember serotonin's hanging onto those platelets, wow, you start regenerating again. Um, it, it's involved in pain, in perception of pain. Um, it has all kinds of complex uh, effects on what we call the HPA axis, which is a stress axis for releasing stress hormones, like catecholamines, cortisol. You all hear everyone in the gym talking about, oh, I'm getting a cortisol blocker. Well, you got to back up the train a little bit and work with serotonin. It's involved in early embryonic development. Now, you ready for this? It actually helps the oocyte and it helps cleavage of the the early blastocyst. So, so backing up, you have a lot of women that are infertile. Well, maybe we should look at the serotonin level. We're, we're bombing them with progesterone and fertility drugs when it could be the influence of serotonin on the newly fertilized egg. Something to think about. That's where science is. But, you know, we, we don't back them and say, hey, do they have too much serotonin or not? The, you know, we've got them on, um, you know, antidepressant drugs or drugs that raise the serotonin. We're randomly manipulating it. Yeah, they may bleed a lot because you, you can't uh, clot if you have high serotonin. Yeah, they may bleed a lot and they won't be fertile, but, you know, we'll give them all these other drugs instead to try to make them fertile. It, it, it's this weird, weird cycle where, you know, you can't add one ingredient to a soup or a stock and not manipulate the others. Um, serotonin is very, very important in vasoconstriction and, and dilatation. So it's involved with hypertension. Um, it changes how platelets clot or not. They will not stick together if there's too much serotonin. It modulates, you know, how often you pee. It has a role in stress incontinence. So we have all these kids that have bedwetting, and it could be sacral subluxations or something like that. You have um, women who, oh, yeah, you know, I, I destroyed the structure of my pelvic floor because I had seven kids. I understand that, and it's a very big possibility. But maybe it could be their serotonin levels. Remember, serotonins came before bladder. Serotonin came before the nervous system. So I'm very much a biologist, so I, I try to stick with basics. You know, when a patient comes into me and they're saying, oh, I have a problem, I have this itis. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough water, gallon a day if you can? And you're getting enough high quality protein, 100 grams a day. And I don't care how big or small they are. I have them shoot for 100 grams because most people aren't getting 30 a day, especially some of these ladies who come in with all these itises and problems. And when they up their water and up their protein, up their sleep, all of a sudden the body knows how to heal. And guess what? They start healing. 
and all of a sudden they don't need all these pills, potions, and lotions. It's something to think about. Um, in women, ready for this, um, mammillary gland development, their breast development, if um, it works in conjunction with oxytocin for nursing, these are all big functions that, why would you mess with your serotonin levels even at a young age? When these ladies come in, they're 16, 17, and they're on antidepressants, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you wanna have kids? Do you wanna nurse? How many women are out there that are having nursing problems because they were on you know, some medication perhaps at a young age or they had some PTSD or they had something that affects their serotonergic system? We're just beginning to look at this. Most people don't even understand this yet. It also, ready for this, it also you know, makes your skin smooth, having good uh, serotonin um, consistency. And it makes sense with the blood flow and that serotonin affects um, vascular beds and capillary beds. Of course, it works with uterine constriction, uterine smooth muscle, um, oocyte maturation I mentioned before. Um, it induces progesterone secretion. So there's a balance between fertility, progesterone, and serotonin. There's a lot of women out there, they go on the pill at a young age because they had such painful periods. Well, were their serotonin levels okay? I mean, how much protein were they getting? Were they getting enough tryptophan that it could be broken down to 5-HTP that go to 5-HT and they could be, have their own serotonin? If you don't eat the right amount of protein so you can make these monoamines, you can't t if you're not getting amino acids and the types of amino acids that can be converted into serotonin, then guess what? You can't regulate. So you have all these girls coming in with these painful periods. I'm like, how much protein are you getting, dear? And they have them do a food log, and they're getting 20 grams, 15 grams. And I had two pieces of, you know, pizza yesterday and a salad. Well, if there ain't chicken in that salad or fish in that salad or meat in that salad, you're not getting protein. How are you going to make serotonin? But I'll see doctors give them steroids. You know, they'll give them the pill estrogen, progesterone, artificial, instead of saying eat some meat, or at least if you're plant-based, eat some balanced protein. You need tryptophan. You need that serotonin made. You don't make it. So in conclusion, looking at some of these battles we're doing, I think we got the cart before the horse when it came to serotonin. I think what we did is we found out, hey, this may be the problem. Let's fix it just like the appendix. It was big, it was swollen, let's yank it until we realize, oh, it's an immune system structure. And now we're realizing that maybe serotonin, which predates the nervous system, predates mammals, predates vertebrates, this monoamine has a very powerful effect in the human body. There are right now to date are 15 receptors and subtype of receptors that serotonin will lock into to produce a different effect. And I'm sure in the next 20 or 30 years, we'll find more receptors. And we'll find out that maybe some of these monoamines made from our diets, made from protein, have an effect on so many organ systems and have a lasting effect on our health, our happiness, our well-being. And now we're finding out the next generation, the generation after that. This is Dr. Fred Clary signing off for Serotonin Wars, part one.